Today is October 14th, 2020. Democrats go in to attack Amy Coney Barrett. A Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings begin. Trump holds a rally in Florida amid renewed coronavirus concerns. And Mitt Romney calls out the entirety of the political landscape. Hello again, Split the Difference family. Welcome back to another fantastic episode. Guys, I'm going to say it. It's true. This is the best episode that we've done yet. I, I don't take those words lightly. This has got to be the best episode that we've done. We're, we're looking at stuff from both sides of the aisle. We're looking at stuff from the left. We're looking at stuff from the right. We are splitting the difference. We're finding that sweet truth in the middle. If you're with us and you're new, thank you for joining us. A little bit of background about what we do here on the Split the Difference podcast. We are a political podcast, and we are doing our best to try and look at both sides of the aisle to find some of the truth and some of the moderation that's there in the middle. We're told over and over by all our friends and family, all the media, everybody that we know, that we're more divided than ever. Well, we here at Split the Difference don't necessarily think that that's true. We may have more heightened political rhetoric than le- than ever, but we want to be able to cultivate a community and a group of people that can have good conversations and be civil. The thing we always like to say here is to stay level-headed, to stay reasonable, and always do your best to split the difference. So with that being said, let's hop right on into our first story. So story number one, as many of you probably know, Amy Coney Barrett is getting confirmed to the Supreme Court uh, Senate Judiciary Committee kicked off the hearings on Monday morning, uh, bright and early, and they have been just swinging for the fences all week. So uh, let's go ahead, hop in, let's take a quick look at some of the highlights that we've seen so far this week. This is going to be a long, contentious week. I would just ask one thing of the committee. To the extent possible, let's make it respectful Let's make it challenging. Let's remember the world is watching. Senator Feinstein. Thanks very much, Mr. Chairman. And I, I do want to just address your last statement. We feel the same way, and I believe we want this to be uh, a very good hearing. And I certainly will strive to do my best to achieve that. Our Republicans first announced their intention to fill Justice Ginsburg's seat. Just one hour after her death. From that moment, this process has been nothing but shameful. Every American must understand that with this nomination, equal justice under law is at stake. Our voting rights are at stake. Workers' rights are at stake. Consumer rights are at stake. The right to a safe and legal abortion is at stake. Okay, so that's just a quick look, quick look in at uh, some of the stuff that was being said. You had all the big names there. Uh, Lindsey Graham was there. Uh, Diane Feinstein was there. Uh, Kamala Harris, who a lot of the Democrats have been kind of waiting and wondering how she's going to attack everything here. Uh, she was there, had a couple of pretty bold things to say, as you heard. So I guess we can go ahead and hop in. Let's take a quick look at maybe what the left is saying, then we'll look at what the right is saying, and, you know, as we always do, try to find something there in the middle. So, what's the left saying about all this? So, in what we thought, the left is arguing that Barrett 
is going to be a direct attack on Roe versus Wade for abortion and Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, on day two, Senator Pat of Vermont asked Barrett a ton of questions on the specifics of the ACA. Uh, how many people are covered? How many children are covered? Uh, very clear that they're wanting to uh, get something out of her that would indicate that she doesn't want the Affordable Care Act to be around. Um, it really looked that it really looked like in a lot of ways that a senator from Vermont was uh, trying to fish for some stuff uh, in order to kind of, I guess in a lot of ways, be able to get a little bit of a soundbite, which is what I felt like was happening the entire time. Uh, day two, Senator Feinstein asked if she agreed with Justice Scalia and his dissent on Obergefell. Um, Obergefell is the... Um, uh, is what legalized and legalized homosexual marriage a couple years ago. Um, Barrick basically came back and argued that just because she looked up to Scalia doesn't mean that she, you know, affords and agrees with all of his views. That's pretty much the running theme of what happens. Uh, Democrats would try to attack Barrett on a specific viewpoint like, hey, how are you going to vote on this? How are you going to vote on that? And in typical fashion, which is not unusual at all, Barrett would basically be like, um, I'm not going to tell you how I would vote because what I would do is look at the facts in the case and then I would decide then um, she's not going to be able, she's not going to obviously sit there and tell all of the people exactly how it is that she would vote because every case really is different. So for the most part, Barrett per usual is refusing to give all of her views, which kind of is what she should be doing. Um, overall, the Dems have asked some pretty straightforward questions, and it appears that most of the Republicans are doing a lot of the posturing, okay? Many, uh, I've been looking to see how Harris was going to act, as I was saying. Uh, Harris, uh, Harris, you know, went in and basically said, quote, often the court is, quote, often the last refuge for equal justice. Um, and then, as you heard in the video, she went through and said that voting rights are on the line. Uh, women's rights to choose are on the line. Workers' rights are on the line. So she was you know, basically saying that a vote for confirmation for Amy Coney Barrett is refusing the rights of all American people. Classic overblown Kamala Harris was kind of just what she does. She was very, very, she got very popular during uh, the 2018 hearings with Brett Kavanaugh as well, because she did a lot of grandstanding then as well. So uh, the main argument from the Democrats is kind of to, I guess, really two or threefold. So the first is obviously what I was saying earlier. She's going to get rid of Roe. She's going to get rid of um, abortion rights and everything, but also that she's going to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. The other thing is that the Republicans are hypocrites. I had a big story is basically Merrick Garland, Garland in 2016. The Republicans refused to vote on Merrick Garland, who was a pick by Barack Obama. And now the Republicans are hypocrites because, you know, back then they said that it was an election year. You should let the people decide. Now Republicans aren't doing that, obviously, because they control the Senate. They don't technically have to, although it is incredibly hypocritical. But the biggest thing that the Democrats are saying is that uh, this is extremely unpopular by the polls. And so actually The Economist came out with a pretty cool poll um, not too long ago, within the last day or so, about whether or not, like basically around the popularity of uh, whether or not people want to be able to see uh, uh, her as a Supreme Court pick, Barrett as a Supreme Court pick. And according to their opinion, um, there's a, she has a pretty far net negative view of uh, from the American people, uh, basically the court of a public opinion. So she actually has a negative percentage approval points for justice, for a justice before confirmation, uh, which is 
completely different than the vast majority of other uh, justices before her. She has an incredibly short timeline, and uh, they also have a small thing on here about um, uh, voters, whether or not they support Roe versus Wade, and whether or not that should be overturned, and the Affordable Care Act, both of them well over 40%. Um, that they shouldn't be overturned. And that was, I think, done by Gallup and CNN. So uh, I think the Democrats do have a point that right now, this is not super super popular. And I don't know that it's a great look, and I've been saying this for a while, but I don't know it's a great look for the Republicans to be trying to cram her through as fast as they possibly can right here before the election. And the Democrats, in a lot of ways, are kind of playing their cards right here um, because in getting into what the right is saying is that the right, it's kind of where it's getting interesting. So the right is spending the majority of their time talking about how Barrett is a good woman that loves her family. That's pretty much the whole argument. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett is an awesome person. She's an awesome woman. And the Democrats are incredibly wrong for ever trying to attack her. Um, they're giving her a ton of softball questions, which is exactly what you would expect. Um, one of them actually, in, and we'll go ahead and hop in and take a look at this video right here real quick, um, is uh, this is totally canned. There's no way you're going to be able to convince me that this was not planned at all. But um, this is uh, one of the senators asking Amy Coney Barrett uh, what kind of notes she came in with. And uh, she holds basically holds up a blank notepad. So hold on. Let's take a look at this. Good morning, Your Honor. Good morning, Senator Cornyn. You know, most of us have multiple notebooks and notes and books and things like that in front of us. Can you hold up what you've been referring to and answering our questions? Is there anything on it? Uh, that letterhead that says United States Senate. That's, imp that's impressive. So, uh... <laughs> That's them, the Republicans basically just trying to lob a softball right over to Amy Coney Barrett. The right has been going nuts over this. I don't know if you've seen anything on Twitter and the news. You follow any Republicans. I mean, everybody was blowing up about Amy Coney Barrett's just so smart. She doesn't even need to take notes. She didn't even bring any notes in with her. She's just smart. She's capable. She's just answering questions, uh, you know, from her heart. And this is what, this is the kind of person Amy Coney Barrett is. Uh, just kind of just classic theatrics, right? That's just kind of some of the stuff that you're going to see. I don't know whether or not Amy Coney Barrett coming in without notes is a good thing or a bad thing. I don't particularly care all that much, honestly, but it's just the Republicans trying to posture a little bit and act like she's, you know, something extremely smart or capable, which she is very smart and capable. Um, but the biggest thing that's been interesting for me for the Republicans is that they have over and over and over again um, attacked the Democrats for attacking Amy Coney Barrett. Now, most of the Democrats that are actually in the hearing so far, right, and granted this could actually change before this podcast is even posted, but the most of the Democrats in the hearing are really not being incredibly rude to Amy Coney Barrett. They're not attacking her for her religion, which is what the Republicans are claiming they're doing. They're not attacking her for her family, which is what the Republicans are claiming that they're doing. They're not really being extremely rude. But Democrats outside of the judiciary hearing absolutely are doing that. So I actually found an opinion article on NBC uh, yesterday that basically went through and trashed Amy Coney Barrett in as many ways as they possibly can. Um, it was written by Danielle, I'm going to mm, Campo, Campo Moore, 
she writes for a couple, a bunch of different things, but she wrote an op-ed for NBC News titled, Senate Republicans used Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court hearing to ionize white moms. So, um, yeah, so basically what the premise of the article was, was that Republicans only like moms if they're white and they're like Amy Coney Barrett. Pretty, pretty mean stuff. So a quote from it says, the GOP message, of course, was clear. Motherhood is both a professional and moral virtue, but only if you're married and only if you're straight and only if you're wealthy and only if you're white, because the GOP has a very different message when discussing black, brown, single and queer moms. Obviously, there's not any Republicans that are standing up and saying that. There's not any Republicans, I think, that would have a huge problem with the fact if Amy Coney Barrett was a black woman and was a mom. I don't really see where they're coming from on that. So the Republicans are hearing and reading articles like this op-ed, and they're bringing it in saying that the Democrats are doing that, saying the exact same thing within the judiciary hearing. I don't really see that happening, though. Um, Of course, there's going to be political pundits that attack people all the time. That's just how the political landscape is right now. But the Democrats are playing this pretty well. I think that the Democrats realized in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings a couple years ago that viciously attacking the personal life of a justice that is being confirmed within the Supreme Court is not a popular thing amongst the American people. And the Democrats are playing their cards right by backing off asking her very, very straightforward, pointed questions and trying to pin her down on where she stands for the Affordable Care Act and where she stands at for Roe. The vast majority of people, according to polling data, don't want Roe to be overturned. The majority of people also, they may not love the Affordable Care Act, but they don't think that it should just be repealed out of nowhere. The Democrats are right in their attacking and in their questioning of Barrett's opinions on this type of stuff to be able to give the American people at least somewhat of a glimpse into who Amy Coney Barrett is. Um, All of that being said, I'm sure that you're going to hear tons of political pundits saying that Republicans are just uh, just pouncing and attacking Democrats and that the Democrats are just uh, all these theatrics and screaming and yelling and there's all of this they're all going crazy and saying terrible things about about Barrett and who she is so far I haven't seen that happen so far it's been an incredibly boring Senate confirmation hearing And that plays very, very well for Senate Democrats. What they're trying to do is throw their hands up, sit back a little bit, and say, listen, all we want is for the American people's voices to be heard. Republicans aren't allowing that to happen. They're just basically trying to shoe in an extremely far-right conservative justice, and we aren't able to have American voices heard. That's a pretty good good line right there. A lot of the American people, I think, are going to line up and agree with that and pretty, pretty well. So it's going to be interesting to see how more of this starts to unfold. At this point, not a lot has happened. Obviously, a lot of Democrats have already said that they're not going to confirm her, but it looks like Amy Coney Barrett is going to have the votes that she needs to get through. So uh, they're planning on voting, I think, probably soon enough, maybe by the end of next week or early the week after that. So we'll see how this starts to play out here over the next week or so um, as Democrats try to at least slow down the process of getting her confirmed. So with that being said, let's move on in to our story number two. Story two. So Trump, our president, holds a rally in Florida amid the renewed coronavirus concerns. And let me tell you, this is prime Trump being Trump. 
He is, you can be angry about Trump all you want, but the dude is hilarious. He, I've been saying for a long time, I think he's the best stand-up comedian in the country. He has got to be. So let's hop in and take a quick look at Donald Trump uh, and his rally in Florida. Yeah, hey, George, good morning to you. President Trump was not wearing a mask. Neither were most of his supporters at that rally, even though several states are now seeing records in their daily case counts in terms of high how the coronavirus is. And President Trump is now using his recovery as part of his reelection pitch. President Trump, fresh off his COVID diagnosis, throwing out masks to supporters in the battleground of Florida. Uh, so I'll pause it right there real quick. So she said that Trump is using his recovery as part of his reelection pitch. She is not wrong. Donald Trump has said multiple times that doctors are now saying that he's immune, that uh, he had to get it for the American people to see how bad it was, but now he knows how bad it is, so now he can fight it off better. Trump is actually using him getting the virus as a means by which to argue that he should maintain the presidency to fight off the virus. Pretty incredible stuff. Let's listen back in. It's great to be back. Bragging about just how great he feels. I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women and them. Everybody, I'll just give you a big fat kiss. kiss. That audience standing shoulder to shoulder and mostly maskless, including the state's own governor. So, uh... At the end of that video, you actually did hear correctly. Donald Trump said that he feels so good, he's going to run in there and just kiss anyone. He'll kiss the the girls. He'll, he'll kiss the guys. He'll kiss all the beautiful gals. Donald Trump is feeling good. He is feeling himself. He was throwing masks out <laughs> into the audience. Like, what? he's the biggest troll ever. And he uh, obviously doing all of this to get the Democrats riled up. Um, but you're seeing a very, very different point of view taken by Joe Biden. So Joe Biden also is holding rallies, I guess, if you can call them rallies, uh, on different parts of the country. He's obviously out campaigning. He's not just sitting in his basement, like all the Republicans like to say that he is. He is out, but his pitch is very different. His delivery is also very, very different. So uh, Biden is, uh, I'll, we can show a quick clip of uh, Joe Biden actually in a rally as well, um, right around the same time that Donald Trump is at a rally. So let's hop in and take a look. In the battleground of Ohio, an entirely different scene, Joe Biden supporters socially distant in their cars, honking their horns instead of applause. Biden painting himself as the grown-up in the race, calling the president's behavior since contracting COVID unconscionable. The longer Donald Trump is president, the more reckless he seems to get. Right, so that's Joe Biden making the argument that he is the return to normalcy. He's the adult in the room. Donald Trump is doing all this kind of crazy stuff. And uh, that Joe Biden is the one that's standing up and he's the fatherly figure, the grandfatherly figure that the country needs right now. Trump is definitely back, though. All these people saying that Donald Trump is still sick. Well, and he has come back. It has re reported by his White House doctors that he has come back neg testing negative for coronavirus on multiple occasions. So 
it does appear that he does not have coronavirus anymore uh, from his White House staff, but it definitely appears he doesn't have coronavirus anymore because the man was dancing to the YMCA song and throwing masks out into a large crowd in Florida. And if you look at the videos of those people, hardly any of them are wearing masks. So you can be angry at who Trump is, but there's no doubt that that man knows how to pump up a cl- pump up a crowd. So you're seeing two totally different uh, totally different uh, diametrically opposed ways that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are going about trying to appeal to the American voter. One is filling up stadiums of maskless cheering people chanting that America is great and uh, pushing his pro-America agenda. One is stepping forth and saying that he has been here for a long time. He knows what he's doing. He's the return to normalcy. He's tired of all this craziness. We as Americans are tired of all this craziness and that he is going to be the person that basically brings the country back together. Very, very different pitches coming from very, very different candidates. So this is all as the coronavirus comes up on approaching 8 million cases total in America and about 215,000 deaths. So as much as you may disagree with or think that Trump is being awful here, he's making a decent argument against Biden. Okay, And we'll look at Biden's argument against Trump as well and kind of dive into it. But Trump is more or less saying that the coronavirus is not a very big deal. He wants to open back up because he wants the economy to be going back on full cylinders. And most importantly, that he is the living example of that. So when Donald Trump is standing up and he's saying, listen, I just had the coronavirus like a week ago and I'm standing here dancing around on stage and I'm just fine and I'm 74 years old. That's a decent argument to a lot of those people that are standing there in those stadiums like, he's not wrong. I'm standing right here looking at him. Um, When he's making the case for reopening the economy, Donald Trump downplaying the effects of the coronavirus and using himself as an example not a bad pitch, if you, especially if you want the economy to reopen and you're tired of all of the all of the jockeying back and forth about how the coronavirus is this horrible pandemic or that the coronavirus is not a big deal and no one actually knowing what's going on with the coronavirus in general. So Biden, on the other hand, is taking the much more conservative type of approach to all this. He is really kind of in some way struggled to articulate how his plan is going to be different than... Uh, than Donald Trump's plan is, and this was kind of came out of the presidential and the vice presidential debates as well. Um, Biden and Harris haven't come out and said, all right, we would do this, this, and this different than Donald Trump. What they're basically saying is that, oh, Donald Trump, you're responsible for killing these 215,000 people and that you shouldn't be president because this happened while it was on your watch. It's not a fantastic argument, but The idea that Joe Biden is the return to normalcy, the idea that Joe Biden is basically the, uh, he is what is going to be turning the country around from all the craziness that is Donald Trump, that appeals to a lot of people. A lot of people are seeing Donald Trump shaking hands, throwing masks out into crowds right now, only a week after he had the coronavirus, and they're like, that is craziness. (laughs) And they're kind of right. Joe Biden saying, I've been here before. I'm just regular old Joe. You know me. I'm out here having a good time as much as I can, but I'm being cautious and I'm optimistic that we can come out of it, but only when you elect me. It's kind of a decent pitch from Joe Biden. So both of them are coming at it from two totally different perspectives. Both of them 
kind of have a good pitch. It's going to be interesting to see how all of these other different factors start to start to kind of culminate and come into play here over the next month. Um, I will say, though, at the end of the day, Trump can rile up a crowd, and he's doing that well. And if he continues to do that, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's pretty much what got him over the hump there in 2016. So uh, Biden's going to have to step up a little bit. If he can, continues to have just drive-in rallies, then it's tough to rally people up like that. So all that, let's go ahead and move on to story number three. So story three, Mitt Romney uh, calls out the entirety of the political landscape. This is this was pretty interesting. So Mitt Romney is a pretty classic moderate in a lot of ways. Political pundits hate moderates and uh, politicians don't like moderates at all because you can't pin any, can't really pin them down. And they honestly go uh, where they feel like is reasonable. I tend to line up on this in a lot of ways, which is why I'm probably going to give my opinion um, here in a second on all this because I am very passionate about it. But uh, let's go ahead and read through a little bit of what Mitt Romney had to say. So very interesting um, because Mitt Romney is a Republican. Uh, he has not, however, come out and forcefully condoned a lot of the stuff that Donald Trump has said. He has not bought into the Trump Republican side of things. Mitt Romney has pretty much kind of stayed over on his own. And sometimes the Republicans love him. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the Democrats love him and sometimes they don't. He kind of falters back and forth. Um, but he came out and had a pretty interesting statement. So he said, I quote, I've stayed quiet with the approach of the election, but I'm troubled by our politics as it has moved away from the spirited debate to a vile, vituperative, hate-filled morass that is unbecoming of the free nation, let alone the birthplace of modern democracy. The president calls the Democratic vice presidential candidate, quote, a monster. He repeatedly labels the Speaker of the House as, quote, crazy. He calls for the Justice Department to put the prior president in jail. He attacks the governor of Michigan on the very day a plot is discovered to kidnap her. Democrats launch blistering attacks of their own through their presidential nominee, though their presidential nominee refuses to stoop as low as others. Pelosi tears up the president's State of the Union speech on national television. Keith Olbermann calls the president a, quote, terrorist. And media on the left and right amplify all of it. And he goes on to say, it's time to lower the heat. Leaders must tone it down. Leaders from the top and leaders of all stripes. Very interesting. Um, he has gotten a lot of blowback from this. Obviously, the Republicans are angry because he's a Republican and he's attacked the Republican president. But a lot of Democrats are upset, too, because they feel like their attacks on Donald Trump and on the Republicans are justified because the Republicans are mean, too. Everybody is always about the whataboutism. So I'm going to have to take a few minutes now just to give some opinions. Um, I've got to get up on my soapbox a little bit because this is something that I'm very passionate about. In a lot of ways, this is why I started this podcast. I do commend Mitt Romney for being willing to step up and call out something that obviously needs to be called out. The vitriol that you see on both sides of the aisle is terrible. And I have no problem with having strong opinions. I have strong opinions. Most of us have strong opinions. But when you are actively attacking and tearing down other people, especially in their personal lives, because of politics, you are stepping way too far over the line and you are putting party over life. You're putting party over the things that we as Americans stand for and we as Americans want. 
It's apparent that in Washington, D.C., and in political circles, the rhetoric is absolutely terrible. I'm all for making some jokes and laughing and having fun with politics as much as you can, and I also do understand that things are very, very serious. But we, as a country, and especially our political leaders, have to be able to stop calling each other horrible names and tearing people down. Listen, I also understand if you disagree with Mitt Romney's politics, I understand if you disagree with his beliefs, if you disagree with his political opinions and his policies, I understand that if you don't think that he's a very good a very good, uh, you know, politician at all, or if you think he's a good person, that doesn't matter to me. What shouldn't be controversial at all is that we, as Americans, should expect our leaders to not use incredibly divisive rhetoric all the time. That shouldn't be a controversial statement. Mitt Romney coming out and saying that the president, calling people horrible names, uh, tweeting terrible things all the time, and uh, actively running his opponents into the ground is not, you know, that not being a good thing. Mitt Romney should not be uh, rebuked for coming out and saying that. At the same time, uh, Democrats are doing a lot of the exact same thing. And Mitt Romney's calling that out as well. This is not a controversial thing, and I don't think that many Americans enjoy and appreciate the divisiveness on both sides of the aisle. Terrible, but with all of that being said, terrible political discourse did not start with Trump. It did not start with Nancy Pelosi. It didn't start with Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden. Terrible political discourse has been happening slowly but surely and has been culminating now um, it's, and has been happening over the past couple of decades. It also is not totally unique to our time. There's been ton of, there was ton of mudslinging in the 1800s as well. That's where that term was actually coined. There's been politicians that have always gone back and forth and yelling and screaming at each other. But where I don't agree that politicians or anyone should be necessarily held accountable for stirring up anger and strife, meaning, clarify that, that I'm an avid supporter of free speech, and I don't think that Donald Trump should be held accountable because a Republican goes out and does something that something absolutely horrible, just in the same way that I don't think that Bernie Sanders should be held accountable for one of his supporters going and shooting Republican congressional men. I, I want to make clear that I do think, and I, and I believe wholeheartedly, that the majority of the American people want and long for political discourse that is unifying in some way or another. All of us know that we can agree to disagree and we can work out ways to be able to fight through and learn from each other on both sides of the aisle. The fact that Mitt Romney comes out and says that he thinks that there needs to be better, more constructive political discourse and he is fried on both sides of the aisle shows you that our politicians are not necessarily having discourse the way that it needs to be had. And the tough part is, I don't necessarily see this when I have conversations with close friends or family. I don't think I don't have anybody that leaves conversations with me and says horrible things to me or uh, talks horribly about me or talks terribly about other people or demonizes the other side of the aisle. That doesn't happen very often. And what this says to me is that we as Americans can and should work to have much more unifying political discourse. And that's absolutely a hill that I will die on. I want to see politicians and our leaders step forward, reach across the aisle, and work to be able to come up with good solutions to the problems that we feel like we as Americans all have. So that's my soapbox. I'll hop off of it. 
Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Appreciate it. Uh, all that being said, that is the show, and we can hop on into my favorite part of the show, which is something that made me smile. So, something this week that made me smile actually happened, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, but I've been enjoying it ever since. So, myself and a couple friends really enjoy a good bourbon or a good scotch, some type of good uh, brown water whiskey of some sort. And we have a club where we get together and we share and we have our best bourbons that we can find, our best scotches we can find, best whiskeys, and we have a good time, taste them, try them, and uh, always fun, right? Well... Not to brag, but last time that we did it, my scotch won. Uh, it's called Glen Kinchy, and I have to say, it is a fantastic scotch. I know that not all my listeners may be scotch fans, and that's okay, but if you are, or if you know somebody that is, you should probably get them a bottle of Glen Kinchy because it is fantastic. Now, I'm not sponsored by Glen Kinchy. If they would sponsor me, that would be fantastic. So if you know someone that works there, let them know. But... I'm obviously not endorsing their product. I'm not endorsing drinking at all, especially if you're under the age of 21. But I thought that I would throw that out there. If anybody enjoys a good scotch, they can go ahead and enjoy having that as well. So all in all, that's the show. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking it out. Uh, please check me out on all the various social media sites. I'm on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast with one T. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference. Uh, um, also I'm on YouTube you search my channel name split the difference please drop me a like give me a thumbs up give me a review subscribe let me know what you think I'm enjoying this podcast a ton and I hope that you are as well uh, if you have any feedback or anything you'd like to participate in the community I hope to put together a little bit of a good political conversation join in and help us be able to find something that's a little bit more in the middle as always remember to keep a level head be reasonable, and as always, split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.